0: again and welcome back to the Straight A Nursing Podcast. I'm Nurse Mo and this is episode 199 and today we're talking about hyperglycemia. So before we dive into that, I'd love to take a moment, do a quick listener shout out to my SAN fam. That's my Straight A Nursing family. And this one goes out to Sheena Nicole. And Sheena, I hope I'm pronouncing your name right, but here's what Sheena says. Straight A Nursing is a nursing student's prayers answered. When I received my acceptance letter to my nursing program in June 2021, the first thing I did was jump online to find some nursing education resources. I found a couple that were okay, but then I found straight A nursing. Right off the bat, I knew this would be my number one go-to during school. Nurse Mo talks about everything you will need to know for nursing school. It only took a couple of listens of the podcast to invest in her online boot camp, and that was a total game changer. I walked into my first day of class feeling completely prepared, and as of right now, I am one of the top students in my cohort. Even if you decide to stick to the podcast only, I promise you will not be disappointed. Nurse Mo is definitely the best, and I can't thank her enough. So Sheena, just from me to you, thank you so much for sharing that. I love that you were such a motivated student that you took the matter into your own hands and went online and found some great resources. I'm super thrilled you found the website, the podcast, and of course, Bootcamp. So thank you so much. I want you to reach out, send me an email, and let me know how you're doing. And definitely let me know when you graduate because I love celebrating with you guys. So again, today's topic is hyperglycemia. A few episodes back, we dove into hypoglycemia, and that was in episode 191. So if you want to get the full picture of blood glucose abnormalities, then make sure you check out episode 191 as well. So hyperglycemia is defined as an excess of glucose in the bloodstream, and It is considered to be present when the blood glucose level is above 125 milligrams per deciliter after an eight-hour fast or above 180 milligrams per deciliter two hours after eating. So I'll say that again. The blood glucose level is above 125 after fasting for eight hours and above 180 after fasting for Two hours. And hyperglycemia occurs due to three core reasons. It could be mainly because of reduced insulin secretion, but can also be because of a decreased ability to utilize glucose or increased glucose production. So while we typically associate hyperglycemia with diabetes mellitus, one does not have to have diabetes to have elevated blood glucose levels or incidences of elevated blood glucose levels. So some common non-diabetic reasons that someone could have hyperglycemia are stress. So stress-induced hyperglycemia can occur with any kind of trauma, any kind of significant illness, this causes a significant stress response in the body. So this causes activation of the SNS, it causes cortisol levels to rise, it causes elevated circulating catecholamines, also more gluconeogenesis and glycogenolysis, which is basically amping up that glucose production, and insulin resistance. So the evidence shows that up to 30% of individuals who've had some kind of a trauma can have blood glucose levels greater than 200 milligrams per deciliter. So it's really common. Other common causes of stress-induced hyperglycemia are infection, sepsis, head injury, surgery, and burns. And of course, trauma is another one of those. Okay, another reason for a non-diabetic elevation in blood glucose is Cushing's. Cushing's disease occurs when there's an excess of cortisol hormone, which in turn leads to hyperglycemia. So I do have an episode on Cushing's disease, and I am going to link to that in the show notes. Another reason for elevated blood glucose without diabetes is polycystic ovarian syndrome or PCOS. The higher than normal testosterone levels that occur with PCOS stimulate insulin production. And what this leads to eventually is insulin resistance and hyperglycemia. So as this continues, individuals with PCOS often do develop type 2 diabetes. Another non-diabetic reason for elevated blood glucose is pancreatitis. So in chronic pancreatitis, individuals have decreased insulin secretion, and that will worsen as the disease progresses. Now, the pathophysiology of acute pancreatitis and how that relates to hyperglycemia is less clear. However, studies do show correlations between elevated glucagon levels with insulin levels that are low in relation to that blood glucose level. And then another non-diabetic reason for elevated blood glucose is cancer. Looking especially here at pancreatic cancer, it is a contributing factor in hyperglycemia. The pancreas is going to be damaged and there's going to be abnormalities in insulin secretion. Additionally, Therapies such as chemotherapy that are utilized in cancer treatment can also lead to hyperglycemia. Cystic fibrosis is another one. That thick mucus that is part of cystic fibrosis leads to scarring of the pancreas, which is going to impair its ability to produce and secrete the appropriate amounts of insulin. Another really common reason, and you'll see this one a lot in the clinical setting, is enteral or parenteral nutrition. So, since most people that are getting enteral or parenteral nutrition do tend to be hospitalized, not always, sometimes people will get these things at home, but you'll see it a lot in the clinical setting. The hyperglycemia is also thought to be associated with that stress response because. A lot of times, people getting enteral nutrition or parenteral nutrition are there with an acute problem, and that's causing that stress-induced hyperglycemia. Additionally, these individuals are often on bed rest, which is associated with reduced glucose uptake and reduced insulin signaling in the tissues. And then, of course, another consideration is simply that there's a lot of glucose in these therapies, especially in TPN. In fact, I saw a study that showed up to 88% of patients getting TPN in the hospital setting have elevated blood glucose levels, which is why when your patient is on TPN or continuous tube feedings, especially if they're critically ill, I know that in the hospital where I work, the protocol is Q4-hour blood glucose checks. And then, of course, if it gets really out of control, you would do it more frequently. But the standard is Q4-hour blood glucose checks. Another reason for non-diabetic-related hyperglycemia is obesity. So the relationship between obesity and hyperglycemia is really complex. I could do a whole episode just on that, but I'm going to give you the short version. And the short version is that obesity leads to inflammation, which leads to insulin resistance. And as excess nutrition is consumed... And with that excess glucose, the body is going to try to keep blood sugar in that normal range by secreting insulin from the pancreas. And over time, the cells become less and less sensitive to insulin, meaning that the insulin's not doing its job. It's not unlocking the cell like it's supposed to and allowing glucose to enter. And then the last one that I'll talk about here are medications. There are quite a few medications that can cause hyperglycemia. Some really common ones would be the corticosteroids like prednisone, thiazide diuretics such as hydrochlorothiazide, beta blockers. A great example of a beta blocker is metoprolol. Certain antibiotics called fluoroquinolone antibiotics. A great example would be gatifloxacin. These can cause elevated blood sugar levels, as can second-generation antipsychotics. A great example of that one is olanzapine. So let's talk a little bit about some of the complications of hyperglycemia. Why do we care so much? It's just sugar, right? No, it is not just sugar. There are many complications associated with hyperglycemia. Namely, these are increased risk for infection. Delayed wound healing, nerve damage leading to neuropathy, foot complications that can significantly impair mobility, renal disease can even extend into renal failure, hypertension, cardiovascular disease, and stroke. Additionally, microvascular damage can ultimately result in retinopathy that can lead to very, very significant visual impairment leading to blindness. Damage to nerves and reduced blood flow to the genitals and the bladder can lead to sexual and bladder dysfunction as well. So in the inpatient setting, especially in the critical care environment, hyperglycemia is associated with increased morbidity and mortality. Managing blood glucose levels in these patients has shown to reduce the incidence of significant complications like renal failure, sepsis, critical illness polyneuropathy, and even the need for blood transfusions. Additionally, studies show that hyperglycemia in patients with neurological injury is associated with much poorer outcomes. This includes increased ICU stay, increased risk of significant disability, and death. In ischemic stroke, it is associated with expanding areas of infarction. And if the patient has an ischemic stroke and they get a thrombolytic in the presence of hyperglycemia, there's a higher risk of hemorrhagic conversion of that stroke. And then the classic complication that you'll hear people talk about are diabetic ketoacidosis, DKA and hyperosmolar hyperglycemic state, also known as HHS. I do have episode on this, which I will link to in the show notes as well. These are life-threatening emergencies that require immediate and often quite complex medical treatment. So that's kind of the background on hyperglycemia. So now that you've got a bit of an understanding, let's explore it further using the straight-A nursing latte method. So This method goes through the key things that you need to know kind of at the bedside as a nurse, as a nursing student, so that you can do well on your exams, on your case studies in clinical, sim lab, all the places. So L stands for look. How does the patient look? What are their signs and symptoms? What do you notice about them? So the signs and symptoms of hyperglycemia are typically going to be much more subtle than those of hypoglycemia and usually don't present and become noticeable until blood glucose levels are pretty high. In most cases, the patient will be unaware of the elevated blood glucose level unless it gets, you know, maybe they might feel off if it gets up to the 270 to 360 range, for an extended period of time. The classic signs of hyperglycemia are going to be polyphagia, polydipsia, and polyuria. So in very simple terms, polyphagia, that means increased appetite, eating a lot, polydipsia, increased thirst, so drinking a lot of water, and polyuria, urinating a lot as well. Patients may also complain of blurred vision. They may have nausea. They could have vomiting, maybe even abdominal pain and weakness. And then again, in DKA, which is that really serious complication, the patient may have a fruity-smelling breath, and that's because of the ketones that their patient's trying to exhale to get that acid off. They may have that fruity-smelling breath and... Ku Small Respirations, which are those rapid, deep breaths. We call those Ku Small Respirations. I can say with certainty today that becoming a nurse was one of the smartest decisions I ever made. It's allowed me to make a difference in people's lives, both patients and students, and given me a career that fulfills me in so many ways. But feeling certain wasn't always the case. I remember getting ready to graduate from nursing school and feeling a lack of confidence about bridging that gap from student to new nurse. Today, there's the Nurse Residency Program with HCA Healthcare. It's designed to help newly graduating nursing students succeed. You'll build your confidence with hands-on clinical experience while developing your critical thinking skills. You'll be supported by a community of experienced nurses and fellow nurse residents, and build a foundation for your career at any of HCA Healthcare's 184 hospitals across 19 states. And becoming a nurse resident with HCA Healthcare comes with other great benefits like tuition reimbursement, student loan assistance, clear career pathways to help you achieve your professional goals, and access to company-wide clinical education programs. Now, I know many of you graduating now feel uncertain about the support you'll receive as a new grad. And if I could give you one piece of advice, I'd say definitely apply to the nurse residency program at HCA Healthcare. They accept applications from nursing students who are preparing to graduate within the next six months or graduate nursing students who have six months or less of experience when they apply. Learn more today at careers.hcahealthcare.com slash residency. Again, that's careers.hcahealthcare.com slash residency. HCA Healthcare, an equal opportunity employer. So looking at the latte method, the next letter is A, how do you assess the patient with hyperglycemia? So Any patient with a blood glucose abnormality, you want to assess for altered levels of consciousness and confusion. And then additionally, you're looking at your patient with hyperglycemia. You want to take a look at their intake and their output. These patients will often report drinking a lot, peeing a lot. So you want to monitor I's and O's. Assess for that polyphagia. Ask them how much they're eating or if they feel constantly hungry. You want to assess for risk factors for the development of hyperglycemia, you know, because you got to put on your detective hat sometimes, you know, that could be things like critical illness, parenteral nutrition, culprit medications, all those things that can lead to hyperglycemia. You also want to assess for complications of hyperglycemia. That could be wounds that aren't healing. That's pretty common. Impaired vision, neuropathy, and neuropathic pain, which patients will often describe as tingling and like electric shock type pain. It's that nerve pain. It's very debilitating in a lot of patients. You want to assess the patient's feet. As many individuals with chronic hyperglycemia, they can get wounds on their feet that go unnoticed because they've got such severe neuropathy that they really can't even feel their feet. So if they get a small wound, like maybe there's a rock in their shoe, then they that small, small wound can turn into a giant hole of a wound that just doesn't heal. So you wanna be very vigilant to assess their feet for any breaks in the skin, any wound. You also want to monitor the patient's vital signs. Many times hyperglycemia accompanies a severe infection. And it can also progress into DKA and HHS, both of which are very serious. These patients are likely going to be very ill and require intensive care. So the first T in the latte method looks at tests. What tests are likely to be ordered, likely to be conducted for someone with hyperglycemia? So the mainstay test is the blood glucose. Blood glucose can be measured at the bedside with that glucometer. And the glucometer is going to read a specific range. And this range will vary a bit by which device your facility uses, The need to know thing here is that if it falls above or below that, you will get an indicator. It's going to say low if it's below a certain amount, like let's say 30. If it's below 30, it's going to say low instead of giving you a number because it's falling outside the range of that device. And then if it falls above the range of that device, like let's say the device reads up to 300, and then if the blood glucose is above that, it's just going to say high. So if the blood glucose level is not detectable by the glucometer you're reading, you're going to get that message, and then you're going to measure it from a traditional lab draw. So let's look at the different kinds of blood glucose tests. So the fasting blood glucose, this is the test that measures the level after a period of not eating. Typically, it's that overnight fast. It's that eight-hour fast. A fasting blood glucose Less than or equal to 99 is considered normal. If it's between 100 and 125, this is considered pre-diabetes. And then if it's above 125, that's diabetes. A random blood glucose, on the other hand, is going to measure the glucose level at a random time, not in relation to any meal that the patient has had. So if the patient has a level above 200 with a random blood glucose, this is diagnostic for diabetes as well. And then there's something called a glucose tolerance test. So the glucose tolerance test is going to measure the blood glucose level after ingesting a specific amount of glucose. And the tests are typically conducted one, two, and then maybe also three hours after having that glucose. If the individual has an elevated level at that two-hour check, that's when they would go ahead and do it again at that three-hour mark likely. But if at the two-hour check, it's below 140, this is considered normal If it's 140 to 199 at that two-hour mark, that's considered that pre-diabetes range, and then anything above 200, you're looking at diabetes. Another lab test that will be ordered for anyone with hyperglycemia is an HbA1c. And this is usually reserved for people with chronic hyperglycemia, so people with diabetes. But we're going to look at the HbA1c, which is also known as glycosylated hemoglobin. And what this test does is it's kind of cool. It tells us about the level of blood glucose present in the bloodstream over the past 120 days, because that's the life cycle of a red blood cell. So a normal level, and it's looking at like how much sugar is on that red blood cell. A normal level is less than 5.7%. And then 5.7 to 6.4 is kind of that pre-diabetes range. And then above 6.5 is indicative of diabetes. And there's charts you can look at online that will show you the correlation. Like it'll say if the blood glucose is or rather it will say if the HbA1c comes back at this, their average blood glucose over the past 120 days was this. So the American Diabetes Association website has a calculator for that, so it's handy. I just popped in the number 9.1. Let's say we had an HbA1c of 9.1. That correlates to an average blood glucose over the past three months of 214. And I can't tell you how many times a patient will say, I've been managing my blood glucose, I've been checking my sugar, I've been doing all the things, and then their HbA1c comes back at 12. Well, that's either they were taught the wrong things, they didn't understand the right things to do, their insulin therapy or diabetic therapy isn't appropriate. There's a lot of reasons why it would be off, that would be significantly high. That's about an average blood glucose of 298, but I've seen it. I've seen it many times. So that's a great opportunity for a lot of awesome patient education. Okay, and then another test that would be done, or another group of tests rather, are all of those tests that go along with those complications, DKA and HHS. So I'm going to link to that in the episode notes because I know you're probably really going to want to go learn more about both of those. So the next letter in the latte method is another T, and that's for treatments. How are we going to treat this condition? So the main treatment for elevated blood glucose is insulin, so In the clinical setting, we typically don't give insulin until it gets above 150. Now, this will vary drastically based on, you know, the physician's practice and the patient's condition. For example, patients with neurological injury will have much tighter blood glucose control, and so will patients with open heart surgery. And there may be other patient populations as well. I'm talking about adults. I'm not talking about pediatrics right now. But in general, your regular patient, John in room 5218, whose blood sugar is 138 when you check it before breakfast, is probably not going to meet criteria to get inpatient insulin, at least going by the facility protocols that we use where I work. Now, at home, that blood sugar of 138 may necessitate John giving himself some insulin. It's different in the hospital setting because the patients are sick. There's a lot going on with them, and we very much want to avoid hypoglycemia. So the risk for hypoglycemia is very real in the clinical setting. So we err a little bit higher, kind of on the side of caution. So don't be surprised when you go to clinical and your blood sugar is 140 and you think, oh, well, that's hyperglycemia. That's This patient probably has diabetes. They may not get insulin for that. Okay, now they may get their standard dose of Lantus, their long-acting. They may get their dose that they take no matter what, as long as they're not hypoglycemic, that's different. I'm talking about correctional insulin, what we call correctional insulin, which is directly tied via a sliding scale to their current blood glucose reading. And I talk a lot more about insulin in a great article on the website. So I will link to that in the episode notes for you as well if you want to go and check that out. Okay, so we've gotten to the last letter in the latte method, which is for education and evaluation. So, education for hyperglycemia is going to be tailored very much to the individual patient and the cause of it. For patients with diabetes, there is a ton of teaching around how to measure their blood glucose levels, the proper nutrition that they need to follow for their diabetes management, the foot care, the possible complications of diabetes, when to seek medical care, such as with DKA, and how to manage blood glucose when they are sick. And we call that a sick day protocol. That's just a sampling of some of the teaching. Now, for patients with transient or non-diabetic hyperglycemia, teaching is probably going to be focused on avoiding future occurrences, if that's possible, and on the treatments that are being provided in the inpatient setting. Many, many times, you know, I'll have a patient with stress-induced hyperglycemia or medication-induced hyperglycemia, like on steroids, who will say, why am I getting insulin? I don't have diabetes. So there's a lot of teaching around why we want to correct their blood sugar in the clinical setting, because we want to avoid complications. And then evaluating the effectiveness of your interventions. That's another component of that E letter in latte. So in hyperglycemia, the goal is euglycemia, a normal blood glucose level. Other indicators that your intervention has been effective could be that the patient is free of hyperglycemic complications after surgery, or the patient states an understanding of the need for insulin while getting TPN, even though they're not diabetic, or the patient's hemoglobin A1c being below a certain number, like below 6%. Anytime you're evaluating interventions, it's key that they are tailored to the interventions that you actually did and not just generic evaluations that apply to hyperglycemia overall. So when you're working on your care plans, when you're working with patients, you're doing your nurse interventions that are tailored to that patient, your evaluation of those interventions is very tailored to that as well. So it's all very individualized. So that concludes our chat today about hyperglycemia. How about we do a few pod quiz questions so that you can get a little bit of practice and a little taste of pod quizzing because I have an entire podcast mostly devoted to audio quizzing and it's called Study Sesh and I'm going to put the link to that in the episode notes for you. So When we do a pod quiz, I'm going to ask a question, pause for a moment, give you time to recall and say the answer, and then I tell you the answer. So let's do a few of these. Okay, first question is, what is the main reason for hyperglycemia?
1: And I talked about three, but one was more common than the others. If you said reduced insulin secretion, you get a
0: gold star today. Very good. The other two reasons were a decreased ability to utilize glucose and increased glucose production. Individuals with trauma, surgery, or severe illness have
1: what kind of non-diabetic-related hyperglycemia? Stress-induced hyperglycemia. Very good. And then in Cushing's disease, what hormone is responsible for causing that excess glucose? Cortisol. Excellent. And then what about in
0: cystic fibrosis? What would be the reason someone with cystic fibrosis
1: would be at risk for hyperglycemia? Because of the thick mucus, and it scars
0: the pancreas, and then the pancreas cannot do its job of producing and secreting insulin. Let's talk a little bit about some medications that are common culprits for causing hyperglycemia. What drug class is prednisone? That is a corticosteroid. And yes, that can lead to hyperglycemia. What about hydrochlorothiazide?
1: What drug class is that? If you said thiazide diuretics, very, very good. What about metoprolol? That is a beta blocker.
0: And then one more, olanzapine. What class of medication is that? That is a second-generation antipsychotic.
1: And then one more, name the three classic signs of hyperglycemia. Polyphagia, polydipsia, and
0: polyuria. So excellent, excellent work. You did a good job. So if that intrigues you, kind of doing that audio quiz where you have to recall information, then you definitely want to check out Study Sesh. We do a ton of pod quizzes over there. There's probably 90-ish episodes that are pod quizzes. There's also drills where we just drill, drill, drill information We typically do this for things that you really need to memorize, like cranial nerves and things like that. There's also case studies and then there's power hours, which are deep, deep dives into specific topics. So I want you to go and check that out. I'll put the link to that in the episode notes. And if you haven't yet subscribed to this podcast, what are you waiting for? Go ahead and hit follow or subscribe, however, it shows up on your podcast player. And what will happen is, Automatically every Thursday, the episode will show up in your podcast player like magic. And then if I do a bonus episode, that shows up too. I sometimes do bonus episodes. Um, at other times throughout the week. So I'm excited to come back and talk to you again next week. We're going to be looking at tumor lysis syndrome. You guys have been asking and asking for oncology episodes. And I am diving into this topic with tumor lysis syndrome for you guys. And the reason I wanted to make next week's episode really, really great is because it's our 200th episode. And we're coming up on, by the time this episode comes out, we're hovering right around 4 million downloads, which is phenomenal to me. I looked the other day at the listeners and where you're geographically located, and it was 192 countries. So I have listeners all around the world that have made straight A nursing podcast, one of the top medical podcasts in the nation, and definitely one of the top nursing podcasts in the nation. So I'm absolutely thrilled with that. I can't wait to celebrate that with you guys next week. We'll be doing some fun things over on Instagram. So make sure you follow at straight A nurse and I'll see you then. So check back next week. Bye for now. This podcast is
1: brought to you by Straight A Nursing.